We are back. Season two, episode, episode seven. Seven. Yep. I even had that right. And how was your Super Bowl? Super Bowl party. This is being um, aired a week oh, late. Man. So if you're listening, you're like Super Bowl's old news, but for us it's it's fresh news. Yeah, I watched about, I don't know, ten minutes of the game and the entire halftime show. Halftime show was sick. Dre. Up and smoke tour. Snoop. Twenty years after the fact. I was gonna say they seem like they're dads now. Man, they're dads. 50 hanging upside down was like, I don't know, man. It's not looking good. Also, I'm pretty sure he had like um, a corset on underneath his <laughs> his uh, tank top there. But I anyway. think him and Dre, Dr. Dre, same deal. When you look at the, his, his shape, I was like, and Dre's hmm. got to be like 50, though. I know. Right? Yeah. He's still um, crushing it. Yeah. But so, no, it was really good. Uh, I didn't have much skin in the game. I mean, like, I couldn't care less really who won. And then I was dealing with some client stuff. I think I did like four offers last night. Jeez. You know, agents, we always do this where we put the offer date and we don't actually look at what that date is. Yeah, it's, you know, it's Super Bowl. And you're correspond like, with like the Super 7 Bowl. 7 p.m. on Sunday. Or today, I've got offers due tonight um, and it's Valentine's Day. I mean, there's whatever. So that's the beauty of the job, that's I guess. The perks. I love how the internet has no chill and literally oh halftime show within three minutes, there's like memes of like, 50 cent looking like a full dollar hanging upside down and like yeah. <laughs> ones of like Snoop underneath the stage, like trying to like quickly like huff on a joint before he goes out. Oh man. Um, it was so good. I love the internet, man. <laughs> I was even up late night last night making memes. Like Kanye was giving me tons of great content. <laughs> like Kanye's been busy. Kanye and Pete oh. or Skeet as he refers to him now, which is the best <laughs> insult nickname to give a guy named Pete ever. Um, yeah. But so. yeah. What did you do? You got you're saying you guys ate a lot of food and stuff. Yeah, we didn't do anything too crazy. We just had a couple a couple people over and got some food and had some beers and you know hung out, enjoyed guys it. Being dudes, uh, guys being dudes. I also don't really follow football, unfortunately, um, so I wasn't too crazy into it. But it was fun. We had like prop bet sheets. Oh yeah. So, so like there was things on there like we'll snoop smoke at the halftime show, which I thought yes, right. and then I realized after they probably can't just be out on stage with that much viewership smoking a joint. Yeah, it's weird how. Um, you know, like all the overt like references to gang culture in LA. Like, no, no, that we're fine with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but heaven forbid he like rolls up a joint. Um, <laughs> anyway, but no, it was good. It was good, entertaining, fun. Everyone likes the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, what's new, man? I, I, we we kind of recorded these ones a little bit in closer succession than some other episodes. So yeah, uh, I don't know what much has changed since your last. The biggest thing that's changed for me since our last one was I I dropped the idea of the hundred unit build for myself. Okay. Um, and I actually met with a builder on it. Uh, just to start going over like how viable the project is relative to the price of the land. Um, and it was interesting because the seller. Oh, you mean, so you didn't drop the idea of doing it. You mean you dropped it on us. Last no, no. Week. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I brought it up on the podcast <laughs> and uh, mentioned that I was yeah. looking at doing uh, the build. And so, yeah, I met with um, a construction company there last week and right after we had our podcast and it was interesting to see kind of their feedback because it's funny, like not they're not just like, okay, here's the plans and we're gonna go build it. They have a lot of input on like what you should be building based on mm-hmm. like how to keep costing down, uh, what's totally. efficient to build, floor plan layouts, floor yeah. plan layouts, and all that, which is uh, different than what I thought, but it kind of makes sense. Um, so they actually had a lot of input on that, and I've come to realize that land better services an 80 unit building than a hundred unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know if I talked about it last time, but I was trying to decide between. I think you mentioned it to me actually about doing two towers instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's an option. 
Um, but just for timeline and actual costing, it makes a lot more sense to do it as one. Oh, 100%. It's yeah. more so it's a bigger pill to swallow up front. But just yeah. when you think of, like, the thing they hate when they're building stuff is joints, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, you know, you just increase your surface area when you do two buildings. Yeah. You increase all your corners and, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, it's more so uh, budgeting it out when you go to get financing because it's a big ask to go to make me like, hey, I know you've never heard of me before, <laughs> um, but I'd like $30 million, please. Um, yeah. It's easier to swallow, but. 100%. And that, that might end up coming into play. Um, but like, yeah, it, where this is not like a prime location and it's going to need, it's not going to get the craziest rents, even with all the new financing programs in place, we have to be really conscientious in how mm-hmm. uh, we handle the pricing. So we're actually looking at um, doing a different, like a hybrid between concrete and wood, yeah. which is where they do the like, overpour. they yeah. overpour the, the, on the, what is it? Basically they do plywood floors, overpour, pull the plywood off and then frame it up inside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, similar timelines. It's a slightly more expensive than wood but should be a fair bit cheaper than a concrete build. Um, so I'm hoping that's going to be the option and the answer. It's actually a company out of Quebec that would send up the crews and everything, and they would they would do it right on site. So that's what we're looking at now. Um, I'm hoping to put it together. There's going to be a bit of a discrepancy on some pricing, but the other thing I'm pricing finding... between you and the seller? Between me and the seller. And um, even like, I mean, I know it's a high-level bid that, they, that these builders gave right at the start, but it, it's crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it was not exciting. Like when I, when I got it, I was kind of hoping to be pleasantly surprised and I was no. quite opposite. I was very disappointed. I received yeah. it and I was like, oh, it's a lot, that's more than the appraisal. Yeah, of course it is. And then the challenge with some of these sites and you, I mean, obviously you're very experienced in it, but I've had this conversation with some other agents who are looking at these sites and they say, yeah, you can build 70 units here. And then you look at the basic massing drawing that they did, and it looked like it looks like a child's drawing of how irregularly shaped this building is. Yeah. And no one would ever build that building. It's but when you're going for maximum massing yeah. to, to show value, you're like, oh, yeah, and we would jam like a little single unit back here. On this little arm that pokes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you would never build that unit in a million years. No. So they priced them off of... Uh, an irregular massing look and and a lot of times too like and this includes seven parking spots like for a 40 unit building <laughs> like in that location yeah and but people pay it because people are starting to learn a little bit about how to value raw land per unit yeah um but they don't know a lot yeah and what's the expression like there's nothing dangerous than having a little bit of knowledge yes because you then pull the trigger on things without having enough knowledge to actually do good. You know enough to make a move and not enough to realize it's a bad move. And that's why today we're going to be talking about buying land. Yeah, yeah. Financing. That was an unintentional I was like, wow, Chandler knows what he's doing here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. But yeah, so today we're going to go over all those details on pricing the land residentially, commercially. And I mean, we're not necessarily absolute experts on it, but we have a pretty good idea. Um, Chandler's bought a lot of land, a lot more than me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It becomes down to really, it's like a science. Like It, it becomes math, numbers literally down to the rents you get on the back end, everything mm-hmm. can be boiled back. So there is a set number that you should be paying. It's not some arbitrary like, well, I could develop building there. I should just throw an extra million on top of the asking price. Yeah. It really boils back to where you should be based on today's market and your expectation for growth in the future. Yeah. So yeah. What do you And then financing it because that's everything too. Yeah. Right. What do you got going on? Anything changed since Thursday for you? Um, well, I, I dropped... Uh, <laughs> I dropped a gem <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, no, I said that I'm looking at this property... That is over nine parcels, 30-odd units, mainly a redevelopment play. So that also ties into this conversation about land. $5 million. 
and I wasn't sure. I, I've been working with this seller who's been a friend and mentor for you know seven, eight years, and we've talked about this over those years many times. And every time it's been like, oh, yeah, we'll keep that on the back end. We'll be we'll keep that on the back burner for now. And I sort of thought this might be the same situation, but he seems very serious about it this time. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that I got all the financials, at least the the incomes um, statement. Yeah. And we're going to do a walk through the properties this week. We're actually supposed to walk through the first half of the properties tomorrow, but because of the snowstorm here today, they can't give notice for tomorrow. So we're going to push that. But you know, financials, terms, site inspections, we're we're going down the process. That's so exciting. I am pretty stoked. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, a super exciting up. one to get that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's another bill that's like, all right, okay. <laughs> you know, um, he's going to hold paper, which helps. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. And that's really important on land, too, yep. is uh, vendor hol- vendors holding paper where effectively they take a second position mortgage that helps you achieve your required down payment. Now, this isn't raw land. It's kind of a combination of land, single family, multi-unit, large-scale multi-unit, small-scale multi-unit. It's a mixed it's bag. It's a very mixed bag. Commercial yeah. space, too. Yeah. So exactly how I'm going to finance it is unclear. It might be a number of small products or some sort of blanket product across the whole. We don't quite know yet. Um, but his ability to hold paper on it allows me to put less of a down payment down. Allows some creativity, which is really important on these. Yeah. Especially yeah. when, like, realistically the asking price is more than the technical value of what's sitting there. You're, yeah, and you're this buying is the, some future value. Yeah, this is the interesting thing uh, about the valuation here is because I'm looking at it in two ways. Um, it's not just a land play, right? If it was a land play, it'd be, okay, this is how much I could build and what would I actually realistically build and what's that worth per doors we're going to talk about here in a minute. Yeah. Um, but then there's also what it's worth as its individual structures right now. Mm-hmm. And those values are not always the same. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you end up ahead, sometimes you end up worse. Um, but that's ultimately what we're probably going to finance it as, as opposed to as a development site, even though the development site might be the highest and best use, we don't really know yet. Yeah, that, and that's where the appraisal will come in. And it gets a little more difficult when you have this many parcels and buildings and different, like that's yeah. a hard one to get a proper valuation on easily, just on a quick quick math paper. Yeah, I think probably what we're going to do is value the individual properties and then get a lender who's really excited about the overall portfolio to take the whole thing on. Yeah. And they'll understand what's going on maybe long-term, but knowing also that it's good in summer. Like, it's bringing in $40,000 a month as yeah. a collection of, of properties, which is not insignificant. No. Nope. Now, it's going to expense out probably 40% of that, like we talked about that, because it is yeah. a, a situation where everything is included, like all the utilities are included, you know, Crazy. everything's included across the board. Um, so, you know. Somebody's the, the, Bitcoin the, mining in there. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent chance that someone's got a mining operation. That's I don't what know we if these did when people we were have laptops, but um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, the, the net operating income is going to be a little bit lower, but the value of some of these properties, like you know, what's a duplex worth nowadays? It's worth quite a bit, even though I'm one day going to tear it down. And yep. then I'll have to navigate. Well, what money am I putting into these properties? Yeah, as they are, knowing that down the road they'd be torn down. But I am kind of stockpiling a bit of a laundry list of properties to develop. And I may not get to this place for 10, 15 years, depending on what order I choose to do things in. So, yeah, I'm going to wrap my head around you, all that. You're but starting to pick up quite project. a bit of land, but that is that is awesome. Yeah, it also abuts another property of mine, the very first property, uh, you know, one of my very first properties, um, smaller place. But, you know, I need to decide what to do with that with that long term. But Yeah, no, that's exciting. So, I mean, we both had yeah. a little bit going on. Um, I'm starting into it and you're looking to grab another one. Yeah, and, and I'm still looking at that so short place. Oh, yeah, you were talking about that, too, a potential land development yeah. in South Shore. Yeah, first offer didn't come together. 
Um, so we're resubmitting today. What was that 40, 50 units you said? Yeah, somewhere around there. Nice. And that's a play where there's not much lift. Like the, we're paying what the value is, but we like I have designs to actually build it. Any concern of market saturation by the time you get to building all of these? Um, a little bit. More yeah. so here in the core, less so down the south shore. Yeah. Because what, what we do there would be a little bit of a different model, like a stack townhouse model, which um, there's always going to be people interested in paying for that. Travelers, yeah. retirement, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just a different vibe than being in an apartment building. Yeah. Right, so. Um, a little more homey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. That's something to play in the back of my head now. I'm just like, everyone, and there's so many buildings going Dude, up. it's crazy. I was yeah. sitting in the north end of Halifax here. I'm looking around like, I'm ne- what, what building is this? I didn't even hear about this building. <laughs> There's a bunch of them in North End that you've like, never even heard of that are going up. Um, this was, I'm going to throw this out there. One thing that I saw in the news is Toronto has more housing units going up than people coming in for the first time, which is an interesting thing to consider. Yeah. Uh, and for what it's worth, this is what we always said. If you want to bring those rents down, you have to build, build, build. Yeah. This and is now gonna, we're like, yeah. oh, don't build so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. So yeah. something, I think something to consider, because I think we are, like, there's a lot of people getting involved and a lot of people starting to throw things up. And it's like, hmm, maybe. And then there's this new program coming out. We've talked about it a few times at 95%. That's going to cause even more construction. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be, we're going to, at some point, there's going to be a saturation. Like, there's mm-hmm. got to be. That's just kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, how's it going to go? And is there going to be so many that come on? It's going to cause a real big pullback. Yeah. which will pinch a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll probably see a bunch of these places get built and then get sold out to uh, some REITs out of Ontario. Who can because stomach here, some vacancy? Stomach some vacancy and, and stomach a 3.5% cap rate, right? Like yeah. here, we just don't have the appetite for that yet. Yeah. Um, so anyway, very exciting. Let's talk news more broadly. Yeah. Want to talk? tell us what's up with your, your boy? Your boy. <laughs> your boy, Zuck. Only, oh yeah, which I'll say which boy. There's a couple we have on here. So Zuck lost a bunch of money there last week. Everyone heard about that because it was the largest meta drop to over 20 some odd percent, which is the largest drop in the history of any. And it's not the percentage, it's the dollar value of 200 billion plus market value wiped out. $232 billion of market value wiped out. And it was mainly linked to the fact that in the first time in 18 years, yep. Facebook usership declined yep. for the first time in 18 years. It declined twice in a row. That's what it was. So it was, it was, yeah. yeah, which is crazy to think. And that this is the other thing. These are all like growth stocks, right? So a lot of their yep. price is dependent on growth. So even though they had a $40 billion profit last year, mm-hmm. uh, they still declined because everyone's pricing in growth, not basing yep. off that $40 billion. Um, I, 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 they're saying it's the younger generations not picking it up as much. 100% they aren't. Which kind of makes sense. I'm kind of surprised that Facebook hasn't done something for that. But like, I think they're well, they trying. Tried. Like they, didn't they buy Snapchat? Like yeah, like and Instagram, Instagram was and a good Instagram, one as well. Instagram, yeah. they did a really good play there. It's TikTok that's killing them. TikTok is beating them up. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be what's going on. Um, and they can't really buy TikTok because TikTok is owned by some billionaire people in China, like who are not. They'll never sell. They don't need Mark Zuckerberg money. No, they don't. They're never. They're never going to sell that out. Um, the other thing was is all the VR stuff, which he's been so heavily on, and he's one of the first to to bring it out, uh, saying that he's going very heavy on it, even though all the tech companies are. Uh, the VR stuff's having a very slow uptake, and it's also very losing a ton of money. Yeah, it's a lot of R&D. So losing a ton of money, it's not uptaking like they said to kind of fill in that void. Facebook's not gaining the usership from a younger demographic. I'm sure they're going to take this as kind of like a, a big moment, I think, to make that change. 
So they're going to do something. They have to do something to address the younger gen. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, well, they tried to start with um, Facebook stories. Is that what they're called on Facebook? I don't like the little videos that are I basically so, yeah, trying, to, trying to steal Instagram stories. And yep. those did really poorly. Um, so their ad spends are way down. Right. And ad spends is everything. That's how they make the revenue. Like people buying advertisement in Facebook. Um, they're just not spending what they used to spend. I find I'm not that interested in Facebook as much anymore. Like I don't. Yeah. Me, me neither. I, Instagram. Yeah. Like. And I was a late adopter to Instagram. Big time. Uh, I only got on Instagram for, you know, to connect with music artists. Yeah. And then I switched over kind of reluctantly. And now I would say it's my main platform. 100%. Um, it's it's fast, consumable. It's also nice. Like it's always pictures and stuff like that. And I feel like there's yeah. like an expectation for a level of quality on Instagram that you don't find on Facebook. Like a lot of stuff on Facebook, there's totally. like photo dump of like 60 photos and I'm not interested in going through all of them. Or Facebook has gotten, like, like Facebook doesn't have as many photos unless they're just being people have linked their Instagram to their Facebook. So it auto translates yeah, true, true. because otherwise, man, you go through Facebook and it's, you might get three posts and then an advertisement, three posts and then an advertisement at best. It's heavy on the ads. Um, and it's such a busy, and then you've got your side panels. Like it's a busy screen. Yeah. Like if you think of how they try to simplify what's in your, you know, what's on that square of your phone, the Facebook one is, is very convoluted. And a lot of it is, is trash. People having their status, someone liking, like, it's too busy. I feel like Facebook is trying hard to get people back in there, too, because I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but I feel like I'm getting way more Facebook notifications in the last six months than I was previously. Oh, yeah? Like, yeah. every time I look at my Facebook thing, there's always, like, a bubble of, like, four new notifications. And I yeah, open it, and it's some yeah. BS. It's, like, some random person I went to high school with, like, their mom made a post about them. And I'm, like... Why am I getting notified? That's true. That I've noticed that too, actually. Somebody from ten years ago, his mom made a post about them and tagged them in it. Like I don't understand. They they've been really on me about my business page because when you set up a business page, you have a separate messenger thing. Oh, that's so annoying. And they keep sending me, oh, so and so messaged you on Facebook on yeah. Messenger. Make sure you keep in touch with them. Do you want to update your page? And yeah, and I'm trying to like figure out how to shut that page down. Right? It's 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 there's no point to it. It's bunk. They don't they don't do much. Yeah, that's uh, and yeah, I've never found Facebook pages to grow that much. It's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I don't think they're going to keep it again through Facebook. They'll buy another company or start another brand and target it. And it'll probably, they probably already have some stuff that we might not know about, like games and things that are mm-hmm. targeted at the younger gen. Cause that's, again, like you look, people are socializing through. Yeah. I don't know games. why they don't go after something like a gaming platform and then add a, a really aggressive live streaming through the Facebook platform because they're already trying to go. That, that, that's a meta step right there. Um, but I guess there's that, what's that Twitch? That's Twitch. so big. They maybe Twitch has, really a, has a good, has a good that. hold yeah. on it. YouTube actually grew quite a bit on their streaming side. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Facebook's play is going to be. I think it might be all the metaverse stuff. And I think right now it might be like a rebuild time and people aren't necessarily going to see it. It might take a few years for them to get everything in place and then they might have a massive growth. It might hit really well or it might not, but I think that might be their, their ideas be the forefront and the best at everything metaverse. And then they'll just take a massive stronghold to that. A couple a uh, little interesting thing. So that 30, so Elon personally lost $31 billion, like in, in net worth. Zuck. Uh, yeah, sorry. Zuck um, lost $31 billion in personal worth, which is more than the GDP of Estonia. I saw that in an article <laughs> like in one day. Um, just, his worth, it was like what all the, the country of Estonia <laughs> makes in one year, he lost in, in one day. Um, but it got me thinking about the whole thing of Facebook was, if there was something like if, if Facebook was a country, it would be something like the seventh largest country in the world and, and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, 
Empires fall, man. They fall. They always do. So if you set something up like this is going to be a country, this is going to be a world, this is going to be an empire, if you look through history, they do all fall. And if you are in in the tech sector, if that's the world, that's the universe you live in, it moves so quickly that the the lifespan of an empire is going to be very short. And maybe Facebook's writing's on the wall, man. It's like BlackBerry. <laughs> BlackBerry is still doing great, but being a growth company, unfortunately, they haven't they haven't uh, been received small dig, well on small the market. Dig. But on uh, the same on the same note, uh, while Chandler hums into the mic, all Ryan Serhant, which some of you guys may know, uh, I'd say he's one of the largest, or if not the largest, real estate agent in the world, um, based out of New York, sells all over the states and other places. Um, he's got a massive team, and now he started his own brokerage, Serhant. He has now gone metaverse with his brokerage as well, Yep. Uh, which is an interesting one. And his objective with that, he said, is to kind of reach a worldwide audience, uh, agents all over the world, and then also be able to first, he's going to have it as a communication platform and then eventually roll it into selling houses kind of virtually. Um, so he's one of the first outside of obviously there's your EXPs who's already on there. I believe Real is already on there as well, yep. but he's another brokerage now going towards that. Um, I, I think this is going to become more and more common. It just makes a lot of sense. He's still going to have brick and mortar locations. He said like trademark hallmark kind of locations, but he's not necessarily going to have like here in, in our city, we have four Remax offices. They might have one location in the, in the city and then do everything else virtually online through what he's called the universe. So here's another thing that's kind of trending with these super agents down in, in the States that effectively become big brands, mm-hmm. right? Like they are brand houses and, they create these transactional systems where, you know, there's him as the figurehead, there's the brand, and there's all these agents and all these teams that exist by coastal and, and yeah. the idea is that they can serve the whole, you know, the, the whole market of, of eventually all the U.S. Yeah. And there's been historically this challenge of, yeah, but you're only licensed in one area and that's a problem and, mm-hmm. you know, so you can't necessarily trade in two regions. But when you see what these big guys are doing setting up these teams – is the idea that, you know, we are the place where real estate is transacted as a brand. It's less about who's your agent, how you're licensed, where they're licensed. So you see like Josh Altman selling stuff in Vegas through Instagram effectively. Um, And whether or not he partners with a local agent there and is just brought in as a brand ambassador, I don't really know. But he's just going around the 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 uh, country on social media selling properties in different states and realistically we both know he's not licensed in every single one of those states no chance so that is the way things are going to trend where you know you can purchase properties remotely so why can't the selling process be kind of taken out of you know the bricks and mortar reality into a virtual touring component additionally yeah. the thing with Sir Hanth that was kind of neat is I guess the idea is. 11, he has 11,000 students in his courses. So the idea, I think, would also partially be that if you are transacting through Serhant, anyone you deal with there is going to be highly educated and skilled. Yeah. And they have an interview process to get on board. So you're getting an elevated experience through that, and you know whoever's representing you, even though they might not necessarily be right there in front of you. They, they know what they're doing, and they're, and they're trained well to do it by, again, top-producing agents across the country. So, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a change towards that model. Um, I still think there's going to need to be people involved in the deal in some format. It's, yeah, it's too emotional of something, it's but it's going to be, be a different transaction to what we're used to right now. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, that was an interesting one. Moving forward from that, uh, some of you guys may have heard, but Zillow, which is like I'll reference it to our realtor.ca or viewpoint of Canada. And they're mm-hmm. in Canada now too, Zillow. It'd be more like viewpoint because it's not 
um, arranged by organized real estate, which is what MLS and Realtor.ca, those are yeah. the product of organized True. You know, real estate, which means um, corporate I, licensed real estate. Yeah. Zillow is a third-party private business. Yeah, so they had on there, they have a lot of these companies you'll see is they'll have an estimate based on what your home's worth based on what they're seeing for sale prices around the neighborhood and what they can gather from data. And the data that they gather is from a mixture of places depending on your location. They can sometimes get like the year it's built and rough square footages, bedrooms and baths from the local online systems. Like I know here in PVSC, you can pull some of that stuff up. Yep. Um, it's data mining. Right? Exactly. Yep. Additionally, now there's a lot of companies that offer satellite imagery of all the homes. And through that, they can do estimates of square footages, bedrooms, everything. And that all gets done through satellite. So they were using this plus combined with all the other data of what's selling around them, what people are clicking on things and all that to come up with, I think they're called Zestimates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but anyways, so that, that Zestimate is what they were saying your house should be worth. Um, so then they said, okay, let's let's be smart about this. They must have had enough data to show that their Zestimates were either consistently getting beat or selling close to that when the house did sell. They said, hey, how about this? We'll make a program that if you want, we'll instantly buy your home. So for example, you need to move for work or you need to get out of your house for whatever reason. Zillow says your house is estimate 400. They would say, okay, we'll, give, we'll cut you a check today for 350 uh, and they'll instantly buy your house. It's just like a car where you want you need to instantly get out of it. You can go to a dealer and they'll give you a price. It's going to be lower than what it's worth, but they also pay you in 24 hours, whatever it may be. Yeah, convenience and simplicity. And um, the model seems to make sense. And what they would do is they would set up this algorithm and it would have all of these variables that would determine the value. So one might be uh, purchase price last time it was traded, right? Yep. So it was traded five years ago for 400000 That And then you apply, um, you know, the appreciation rate in that particular neighborhood. That's one valuation tool. Then there's the price per square foot based on the last six months. And they would data mine, um, you know, permitting like the city and, and the region would have data on how many square feet you have and how mm-hmm. many bedrooms it is. And you start putting all of these input valuations together and you average them out to get a a value, the the, the Zestimate. (laughs) And the first question everyone was like, well, who would ever sell to them when you can just put it on the market? What's what's the big deal? But the idea would be certain sellers are distressed sellers. Um, It's a guaranteed check in the bank. You could, could, even if your house is perfect, you could be on market and drop through a few offers and spend a bunch of time and it's a ton of work and there's all these things. So they removed all of that. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. it's a cash transaction check in the fees, bank. no no commissions, yeah. all of these things. However, it's an imperfect science. You can have an algorithm, but we all know that it doesn't, like real estate is a nuanced, nuanced, nuanced thing. There's way too many moving pieces, way too many moving yeah. parts with, with what's in a house, damages, maintenance, so many different items that are sometimes intangible from a computer. And there's a lot of people trying to do this right now where they're trying to use computers to tell you exactly what a home's worth. I don't know that it'll ever be possible until they can get into the physical house and go through all the houses. Yeah, but even then, someone's going to have to put eyes on it unless they can, like, a computer can read the kitchen and be like, all right, stainless supply, you know. Yeah, um, damage on this, damage on that, because, yeah, yeah, that'll make all the impact. And so, long story short, they bought a ton, and then... They had to manage them and renovate them. They managed them, renovated them, and it was becoming, I think, to be too far from their original business model, and it was becoming too much work. Additionally, like, rates are going up, things are changing, uh, so they started to offload some of them. They were they lost on average on most of them, and they, they actually hammered. Yeah, they got hammered, and they accumulated I think roughly about a billion dollars in losses. Eight hundred eighty million is what's advertised. Mm-hmm. That's insanity. Yeah, because um, they are not Facebook. They're big, but they're not like can on lose the two hundred thirty billion. Side on the flip side, the one thing some people were saying is um, 
Zillow has what's called a referral network. Um, and they were able to, what people are saying is that they offset a big part of that loss through getting referrals. So when they would post these houses online and you click on it asking to see it, they would then refer you to an agent. They charge an mm-hmm. agent for that referral and then they sell the house. And so they're saying even though they're showing a huge loss on a lot of these places, they made up a big portion of that $880 million back on referrals. Yeah, but they still laid off something like 25% of their employees. And that, like, it was oh, a big it's still, hit. It's yeah. still a huge hit, but I'm just saying there was some some offset stuff. Um, but anyways, it was very interesting to see, and I think that was proof of concept. Maybe the computer systems aren't quite there yet. Some of these things can't be done completely well, you remotely. Also, the one thing they didn't consider, which is, is odd, is when you market something out there, you kind of want to know who's going to raise their hand in response to this. Yeah. And who's the likely person to raise their hand in response to a... Uh, We'll buy your home no matter what. We don't care what it looks like. Yeah. People with crappy homes, man. Dude, it's right? like it's like the it's the what are the cash for clunkers when they're offering exactly. twenty five hundred at the dealer, you're like, I have a five hundred dollar car that doesn't run. I'll go I'll go buy one. If I'm buying a car, yeah. I'll go buy a five hundred dollar car off Kijiji and roll up because I know they're gonna give me a two thousand dollar car. Yeah. So you were getting a disproportionate number of people because their whole model was based on an average. And what's yeah. the average home out there? But they were attracting people that were inherently had below average homes. And then they got hammered because the um, cost of maintenance and stuff went up at the same time. Skyrocketed. Ironically, if they could have held on a little bit longer, they probably would have walked out a lot better. They might have it might have worked out okay because the market just continued to go like this. Yeah. But they all of a sudden had, you know hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate under ownership, maintenance, and management. And they were like, ah, this is too far away from our original business model. I also think the writing was on the wall with interest rates going up and some growth. And then the yeah. also amount of building that's taking place. They're like, something's got to give at some point here. And they don't want to be holding the bag on $3 billion in houses uh, when it all hits the fan. Yeah, but it does show this trend towards um, a an alternative real estate sales More model. automated system, really. Yeah, yeah. So something's we're headed in that direction, but what the actual end product's going to look like, we don't quite know, right? Um, so we're going to keep moving here so we can get into these land stuff. But uh, the last thing we'll quickly pop in there, and I'll let you talk about it. Um, the convoy is continuing to go on. It took, I know it took place in our city here this weekend. Yep. It did. It did last weekend as well, um, but it's a bit more intense this weekend. Mm-hmm. I know the the cops had most of the streets shut down downtown. I just want to say it's. Um, for me, the only thing again where we want to focus on the I think what the economic impact is having, yeah. I, I think it's it's just adding to the difficulty of getting products and supplies. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And it's adding a bunch more. Again, it's pushing costs up, continuing to, to make an issue there. Um, one thing it's also changing at the same time is the restrictions are easing. Um, don't know if it's all combined or whatever, but I don't necessarily think that's something we need to get into yeah. uh, here. But I, I do think it is impacting the, the, sh- the shelves even more. Again, every time I go into the store, there's less and less on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing that was in the higher. news was that they were kind of freezing the accounts of some of this donated money. So other donation platforms were stepping up saying, no, no, you know, fund the money through here. And it's going to be a, a CRA tax banking situation, man, because we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. That people are like, I gave that money to this cause, and now it's like, well, you either have to get that money back or it's being held. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it's messy, man. And it's this intersection of the corporate banking world um, versus activism and, and opposing viewpoints. It's interesting times. And unfortunately, as always, the consumer suffers, especially consumers who are on a lower budget. Yes, 100%. This is where everyone's getting impacted. On the same idea, too, I'm going to drop this as well. And it's going to be a topic we talk about next time. Uh, Ukraine, Russia... Oil and gas, to the moon, take a look at some stuff. That's all I'm going to say right now. We'll go into it more next time. But 
oil and gas is going to keep going. And if the Ukraine-Russia thing pops off, it's going to go even faster. So if you're trying to make your investments, I would suggest looking at that sector because I think there's a lot of run-up and it'd be a quicker run-up in the near future. It might not pace necessarily a crypto coin or something, but it'll still be a strong investment. So tell me I got to put some money in the old oil market. Yeah. Anil. Something, something right, to consider. We'll talk off mic. But uh, <laughs> moving forward into buying land, we had a few people ask us about this. Yeah. That's why we went over buying houses last time. Now we want to go over buying land because it's a totally different ballgame. You're not putting 5% down to buy land. It's In general, buying land is quite a bit tougher. Very tough. Um, there's a couple of reasons you'd want to do it. Some people like to just do it as investment banking. Like they want to buy land for the future where the city's going to grow. Obviously, you just want to have land for whatever you want to use it for. Hobby farm, hunting, whatever you can do it. Um, and then there's development. There's people who want to develop apartment buildings, townhomes, commercial plazas, whatever it may be. Or you just want to put a single family home on it. Um, and you want to make that your your spot and you don't necessarily like what's available or you have a very set a specific set of requirements that you'd prefer to build. So that's where you look at buying or, or land. Or you're kind of, a lot of people are buying land right now saying, gosh, you know, based on where the province is going, if I want my little piece of the South Shore yeah. or if I want that little waterfront inland lake, lock it down. You know, I better lock it in now and I'll sit on it for X number of years. Yeah. But as we kind of talked about before, the problem with having a little bit of knowledge, but maybe not all the knowledge, is people are like, well, it's just 5% down. It's no big deal. I'll buy a $100,000 lot, 5% down. No problem. Yep. It's not the case at all. So the first thing, if you're looking at land, is realizing the challenges of financing it, regardless if it is for a single-family home or a multi-unit development or commercial. Land is very difficult to finance. A general rule is kind of best-case scenario you're putting 50. down 50%. That's best case. That's best case, and that's with a small handful of lenders, and it's very dependent on where and what the property is. For example, if it is off the grid somewhere, yeah. you won't even get the 50%. No. They'll say, no thanks, we're not interested in lending on that sort of property. Um, if you're in town, you might get 50% on it, again, with certain lender restrictions. Most so times, those if you're restrictions looking, even can be how soon you build on it. Yeah, additional other equities you have in other places, whether yep. it be stocks, they like bonds, yeah. and literally, yeah, the relationship you have and what level of banking you're in. All of those things will will play into the ability to get the, even that fifty percent. And even then, they'll probably steer you into a line of credit uh, product rather than a conventional mortgage product. Uh, yeah. They're like, yeah, you know, we're not really interested in doing that, but we can give you this line of credit. You can secure it against the land, so it's a similar thing. Yep. But obviously, everyone knows line of credit is higher than than a mortgage rate on on average yeah. it typically is um so yeah that's the financing option again like you said are very specific to that most times if you're getting into it the best option you have is when there is you have construction ready to, like you're going to be starting construction almost immediately and you have a construction partner so if you're thinking about doing this for your own personal house uh, and you want to build immediately it's good to have a builder in place the bank will be willing to get a lot more involved and mm -hmm. the builder's bank will fund him to buy the land and get things rolling, and your bank will fund you to give him a conventional buyout at the end of it all. Um, yeah, so if you've identified a lot and said, I want that lot right there, yeah, uh, and I think I want this house, you've got a couple approaches. One, you can go to your bank, and they'll be more flexible because they'll say, okay, um, we like that you've got a contract at, with a reputable builder that's going to build this, timeline. and we can maybe do a construction draw. Or yeah. if you want the simplest thing, just get the builder to buy the land on your behalf, and then we'll just give you a mortgage for when it's done. Yep. And you have to have a builder who's on board, but builders, because they do this process so much, they have lending partners where they're more likely to take that on. And then you as the buyer effectively have very little risk. You yep. just buy the end finished product. Now, if you want to get into the weeds, 
you know, your deed transfer tax you'd be paying at the end is on the entire purchase, as opposed to if you buy the land and then have them build it, you pay only deed transfer tax on the land. But for the convenience of having someone else finance the project, it's really great to bring a builder on board, have them purchase the land, and you buy effectively a turnkey finished product, which you can do with 5% down in the end. Exactly. And you can invest your cash in the meantime to offset your deed transfer tax. And the deed transfer is not on the HST portion. So it is definitely a huge, depending on how much of a house you build, uh, it definitely goes up and it can be 5000 6000 extra in deed transfer tax. Um, but yeah, so Easily, yeah. that's that's usually, I think, the lowest stress option. Then you're just putting in like a $10,000 deposit. You let them handle all of that. It makes your life a lot easier. If you're planning to do it in the future, like Chandler said, it's tough to get lending against it. They're more likely going to push you towards a line of credit um, or utilize make you utilize equity in something else that you already have. Um, regarding pricing on land, it's obviously super, super dependent on location, like ultra dependent on location to the point of like a lot downtown now is under contract, I think at $45 million. And it's, it's a big lot, but... Uh, $45 million? Yes, the one next to the Mabel. Um, that's old government land. and uh, Holy man. Yeah. And you okay. can obviously go down to as little as a thousand bucks a couple hours outside of town. Um, so e, the prices in general, though, I'd say have gone up almost similarly to homes. Yeah. And their demand, the demand was always very limited and very specific. I find the demand now is across the board. Everybody wants it. Uh, there's a lot of builders looking for it. There's a lot of people who are looking to build their first multi-unit that want it or even mm-hmm. looking to build their first house because resale homes are getting to be so expensive that you're like, well... This house now that I used to think was worth whatever is now worth 500 k I can actually build a house for that if I can get a lot for $100,000, Yeah, it's it's starting to make sense. So you're seeing them get scooped up. And there's little there's lots of little factors we've talked about before. With, same with houses. Like if it's on a cul-de-sac and if a cul-de-sac's worth a lot more mm-hmm. um, side streets versus main streets, there's so many factors you need to take into, into account when you're looking at it that it's it can be tough because it's not as simple as a house. With a house, it's a little easier to make some of the comparables, I find. But for land, it can be something a little bit difficult, especially with easements, right-of-ways, and then Nova Scotia Power, HRM Water. But yeah. yeah, in general, I would say prices are up quite a bit, and your, your specific spot that you're looking for, that's where you're going to have to involve your realtor, and they're going to have to give you a gauge of what something like that should be worth. Yeah, I'm going to get a little bit more into what we're actively seeing out there. So if there's an approved subdivision, subdivision right, that means the road's in there, and they're just banging out these building lots. Most of the times, those are spoken for by builders. You don't even get to see those. The developer sells them direct to the builders. The builders build the homes. But a lot for a semi-detached property, so a side-by-side effectively or a link Mm -hmm. home or townhouse, you'd expect to see those right around $65,000 plus HST for lots right now in this moment. For someone buying a single lot? Yeah. On market. No, no, not on market. This is going to a developer. This is going to a developer. Yeah, totally. This is going to a developer plus HST. Mm Because realize if you're in a subdivision or if a piece of land has been divided for the purpose of sale, it's subject to HST, which is different than a homeowner just selling off a piece of their land, which isn't subject to HST. Mm -hmm. Covering a lot of ground here, but just, you know, try to keep up, press remind, whatever. (laughs) Um, That's what a developer might pay for a semi-detached lot in a subdivision. So you expand on that. If it's a bigger lot for a detached home, if it's a nicer subdivision, it's not unreasonable to think that a builder might be paying $125,000 for a single family. That's your absolute baseline. And so the builder might get access to a single family home lot for around $100,000, $125,000, somewhere around there, depending if it's a cul-de-sac or a bit less. If that's sort of your base level mark, then you can start thinking about, all right, what if it is an acre and a half lot slightly outside of town, um, which has its pros and its cons? Um, 
you know, what might that trade at? And is it waterfront? Is it not? I mean, a lot of people, when they go find these parcels and they send them to you or I and say, hey, what about this parcel? What about that? There's usually something really cool about it. Um, you know, it's a bit off the beaten path yeah. or it's on waterfront. Right now, if you're within, um, I would say, an hour and a half, two hours of the city yeah. looking at a waterfront piece of land, yeah. you're going to be a hundred grand all day For and sure. then up through the roof depending on how close you are to a township, how close you are to off the highway, and how good the waterfront is. Yeah. All right. Um, the problem with a lot of these lots, if you see a great piece of dirt out there for 40 grand, you're like, man, this is must be this is phenomenal. Accessibility. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, are you off a main service road or not? Because you've got to run power there. Yep. Secondly, your servicing of a well and septic is about twenty thousand dollars easy. And then each probably yeah sorry I, I'm gonna say thirty thousand dollars combined yeah and then bringing power to the lot clearing the lot cutting your driveway you're very likely to spend sixty thousand dollars getting the lot ready At almost regardless of where it is yeah right yeah so you have to add those immediately to the cost of land if you're looking at this nice little single family piece of land you're like it's no big deal it's forty thousand I'll pop a little house on there. Yeah, you know, I think that, that's a forgotten cost often yeah. is you're like, oh, I know I can build it for 150 bucks a square foot, which is also almost impossible now. Um, and then you don't factor in, like you're saying, the 60, 70 grand in... Like cutting, I've seen people cut driveways and they end up having to dump in a few thousand dollars of fill by the time you get the excavator yeah. out there and you deal with all that. They spent an extra five to seven grand to get their driveway put in than they expected. And it just adds up consistently with that. And same with wells and septics. Those are, yeah, at least 30K plus tax to put those two in. Um, and then you're also on a giant backlog to get them put in. So yeah, it it's uh, it's, we're making it sound so dreary. It's like don't ever buy land. No, no. It's but it's just you need to be understanding of what there is. The other thing in the city, I think, when you're wondering what the pricing is for land in the city, it's most likely you look at the values of the homes and you look at build costs and you can usually boil it back. And that's where people are getting a lot of their lot values. Is they're taking out. There's no like what we talked about the lift. No, there's no lift. They're saying okay, if I can build this house for 300k and it sells for 600. We're listing this lot for two ninety nine nine. Yeah, yeah, that's 100%. what's happening now for single lots. Yeah, for single lots now developed lots. It's a little different, but that's again for builders. You're not going to be able to buy those one one offs. They're going to sell them in packages of ten or fifteen at least uh, to a builder. So, what sort of lot um, one off cool lots like that in town? What have you seen? I mean, there's some oceanfront ones. Yeah, but they're about two million bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I'm seeing more more commonly and can be interesting for people is you're getting these little weird flag lots or little edge lots that people are cutting off based on the fact that they're on a corner so they have enough frontage to do it and they meet the minimum size requirements. And then they might have the ability now to put a two-unit because all single-family zoning mm-hmm. allows for your single-family home plus a basement apartment. Or if it was R2, uh, two-unit zoning, they're allowing you to do three units. So before, even though it's not a sexy lot, you can technically squeeze a property on there. So you can squeeze the three units on there. You can get your parking that you need. So although it's not perfect, the frontage isn't great, it's a flag lot. When I say flag lot, literally when you look at the shape of a lot from an aerial view, it's a flag. So usually you'll see someone has their lot and they've cut the back half off and there's a little driveway that runs along the edge. Uh, so it looks like a flagpole with a flag on top. Those are not, like I wouldn't necessarily want to build my house on that because you're in somebody's backyard. But if you're going to build a two or three unit in the backyard there, like it's not really a big deal. Uh, and it allows you to get in because the lots are cheaper a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons they're cheaper is because you have to run, line, run your utilities that much further to the back of, of the property. Exactly. Um, so we've talked a lot about single-family lots there, and, and again, the challenge is going to be financing them. But if you plan on having 50% of the cost of the property, that's 
a good starting point. The other thing you can look at is your ability to get a line of credit and carry a line of credit on the property. Those are the first things. So when we were talking about buying a home, we, we went through the, the mortgage pre-approval process. For land, you have to look at your cash and a, a traditional line of credit. Um, that's kind of your pre-approval process for buying a piece of unoccupied yeah. dirt. I, and yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say, because I'm looking at our list here, we're going to, we were supposed to talk about building. I don't think we're going to get into that today with due, on, due to timelines. Yeah. Um, or maybe we'll go over a little bit, but realistically, I don't see us talking about building today. So I want to just talk when you're, like you said, there's all these expenses, a good way to do it before buying the land, bring out an excavation contractor. That one will, they'll give you, like you can get somebody to come out and say, this is what it's going to cost you to cut all these, these um, trees down, get a hole in the ground for your foundation, put in your septic and your well and yeah. your driveway. Yeah. And I've gotten like crazy numbers every time and additionally crazy timelines for them to come out and do it. Yeah. But you need to do that if you intend to actually do this and build on a lot. Um, also, a lot of times I will say you'll see single lots in neighborhoods sitting and sitting and sitting. Go walk the lot. It, there's usually a reason. It's either like a swamp yep. and you got to dump in 300 loads of fill. Um, oh, there's a, like a straight decline. It's a straight decline. Oh, you found out Nova Scotia Power or HM Water has an easement right down the center. So you actually have to build the house on the front left corner or there's that I find very common or there's an easement with the neighbor and he has the ability. So now you can't build any of those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing to consider when you're looking at these is get a survey. You have to have an actual legit survey. Uh, you can't take someone's word on it because you could end up finding out that there is a bunch of issues with that. And you might not even be buildable. There's lots out there that are up for sale that basically are not buildable. They're being advertised as lots and they look like lots, but there's a reason that they're not selling is they're effectively not buildable. This is the other thing with a lot of these lots that are oceanfront and the new regulations coming in where it used to be, well, it used to be you could build right on the ocean or even into it. If you had a pre-confederation lot, you could fill in the water. Mm-hmm. And you hear about this every now and again and it makes the news like, oh my gosh, this person's looking to fill in the air. Yeah. It's like, well, based on their title to that property, which was established pre-confederation, meaning you could own the water. It wasn't federal, you know, Her Majesty's water. Yeah. It was your water. <laughs> you could fill it in. Um, you know, it used to be you could do that and then you could be right on the water. And then it was like, well, you got to be a certain distance back from the water. Yeah. But now they're requiring you to be above grade from the water because the sea levels are rising and there's erosion. Yeah. So you can imagine if you're on a nice flat piece of land going right to the water, they might require you to build your home way back there. I'm facing that right. Now. This is a real challenge with waterfront property. Yeah. Um, you know, or you have to artificially fill the land to build it up high enough that then you can build your house there. So there's all these little nuances into buying land that change your due diligence. Like I said, first, check out your cash and your line of credit ability to purchase it. Yep. Then, rather than doing home inspections and shopping for insurance and reviewing a disclosure document, you are understanding the planning, the restrictions, uh, the permitting, and then the land usability because what's the soil composition for your well and septic? Are you on like a certain type of rock that's a challenge? Is it marshland? What are your required setbacks from a wetland area? Yeah. That's where the land purchasing kind of gets different. And if you're in the city, it's good if you can try and find some history on the property or an enviro. I, I know it sounds crazy for a single family. If you're in like a subdivision, not as pressing, but if you're buying a lot that's anywhere in one of the old downtown cores or peninsula, any of that kind of stuff, there is an opportunity depending on the location. If it's any sort of dense area that something could have been there. Even like I did one recently where it's like, it was just a home, but they had an underground tank mm-hmm. and it's an old, old, old house. And it's like, oh, okay. And then the, the house is gone now. There's just a gravel on the ground, but it's like, we should probably check that because so you could have an issue. Here's a little fun, little ways that you can get land for more economically. One, if it has any sort of structure that a bank might lend on, 
that makes your financing of the property that much easier. Even if you intend to tear the house down. Exactly. So rather than looking solely at vacant land, maybe you can find a house that's cheap enough on the land that you can justify, all right, I have to pay more to get it because I, it has a house on it, but my financing options are way lower so I can put less money down. Maybe I can rent it in the interim to you know balance that costing out, yeah. and one day I tear that structure down. Yeah. That's a really good option. Another option is to try to find parcels that allow for land to be subdivided off it. There's a property that I showed the other day where the whole neighborhood recently, well, recently, 10, 15 years ago, went from well and septic to municipal services. And as a result, you no longer need a giant lot because you don't have well and septic. So everyone there is dividing off the sides of their property. Or even if you got a big enough property, you're tearing the house down and jamming four lots in there. So there's an opportunity where you can buy the house conventionally, subdivide the lot off, sell the home, and get the lot sort of for free. I've had a few clients actually do that one where, or they've bought houses where they've already had them subdivided and people don't really pay attention because it looks like a single lot, but there's already a subdivision in place. You can buy that. You can instantly turn around and resell that lot. Or if you want to develop it, you can instantly turn around and do that. And I have, again, we have clients that are doing that right now that are effectively getting the land cost for zero, which is really awesome because when you go to build, your equity in that land is already there because you paid for it when you paid for the house. Mm-hmm. So you you can show to the bank and say, hey, I already have $70,000 of equity or $100,000 of equity because I own this land, free and clear technically because the mortgage is on the house. And they can use that then to start your your build process. Yeah. You get a draw right away and start going. Yeah, or I mean, you might even be able to reach out to someone who's sitting on this big, beautiful parcel of land and maybe they have no inclination towards moving. However, you could say, if I paid for the survey, if I paid for the legal, And if we put in all kinds of restrictions as to what I could build and where, would you consider carving off an acre off the back of your 20-acre property? Yep. And, you know, if if someone is maybe retired on a fixed income, trying to find ways to stay in their big old beautiful house down there, maybe you showing up with $100,000 in a turnkey solution and you just parcel off this little piece that they don't even really care about. That might be pretty enticing to them. You can so, also just keep extending your fence from your yard into your neighbor's yard. <laughs> and then if they ever say anything, you just yeah. you fight back. That's that's another yeah, way to gain uh, a few thousand square feet. My land now. <laughs> um, so we talked a lot there about single family stuff. Let's delve a little bit into what gets people excited. Development which is sites. Development sites. And <laughs> so <laughs> expensive. Fun. They're expensive. The interesting thing about development sites, and I've touched on this before, is their price per door actually goes precipitously as you get down and as you get more doors. So you were talking about, hey, here could be an opportunity where you might be able to build two units in the core. You might pay $200,000 for that lot. That's $100,000 a unit, maybe more. You might find a site that you could do um, three or four units at, and maybe that goes for, you know, $225. So now you're paying $60 a door. Yeah, 100% as you go up. And then you'll see them, they recently sold one that was 100 units in Beaverbank. 1.5 1.5 million. So it's 15 a door. Mm-hmm. Now that was partially location, but like, like you said, it comes down as you get the bigger sites. Yeah. Um, and again, that comes down to the financing because you know, everyone can come up with 50% of a small, not everyone, a lot of people yeah. can come up with 50% of a small place. Yeah. But to come up with 50% of 1.5 million, gets a little more tough. It's a little trickier. And, you, and then they got to factor in the carrying costs, that amount of money you start yeah. getting into serious carrying costs. Um, we've actually had a big transition and you see this in a lot of bigger cities here. It used to always sell on price per door based on your permit. Now we're starting to sell on buildable square foot. Yeah. Um, so they used to be like, oh, I got 80 doors here and it sells for 20000 a unit. So I want $1.6 million for this lot. That is no longer the case. And the reason, be- I mean, there's a bunch of reasons for it. But the biggest one, I think, is that you can say 80 units, but if they're all 300 square feet, like 
80 units in one location, they might be 1,200 square feet on average, two bed, two yeah. bath. And 80 units in another location might be bachelor apartments. Like, yep. there's there's a lot of variables and additionally what people want to build and everything. So now to kind of standardize it where lots have become quite a bit more pricey and things have become quite a bit more aggressive, things trade on buildable square foot. Yep. And so and that way you take out the bedroom counts out of it. Someone can make their own decisions yeah. about, you know, do I want to go luxury with 1,700 square foot units, yeah. right, where everything is a penthouse basically, or am I going micro suites? That's a very different model, but yeah. based on the buildable square foot, people can make their own decisions within that. Exactly. And that's what developers will do, right? Is they're going to look at their buildable square foot cost for land or for the land. And then they're going to look at the actual building cost per square foot for the actual building. And then they're going to look at their rent per square foot at the end of it to see if it actually boils out and makes sense on a return. Um, and so this has standardized it. And we're seeing that here now. And it's pushing up our land values quite a bit. Um, but I, you still see some stuff trading on a per door value as you get further from the core. I think that that price per square foot is still focused on our peninsula and downtown yeah, areas. for sure. Um, but I don't know if you want to drop, like, what have you been seeing? It, it ranges dramatically. Like, our downtown now, a couple hundred bucks a square foot. Like, it, it, it was yeah. trading for eighty to $100,000 a door before the transition took place. Now, with new financing and the growth we've experienced, like I just said, there's a $45 million lot here. I'm going to tell you right now, he's not going to put 450 units. So he's going to be paying more than $100,000 a unit for the dirt. There's nothing there. Yeah. yeah. And part of that is because the cost of construction has gone up so much that the price of the land is becoming a smaller and smaller, was becoming a smaller and smaller percentage of the overall build. And so yeah. now that's going up because people are like, well, it's costing me the same to build the unit, whether I do it here or whether I do it in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But it's worth a heck of a lot more downtown than it is in, in somewhere else. So the land pricing, which used to be, I mean, it used to be outrageous if you were paying like 45,000 for a unit. Yeah, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that's in like the best location of town. Yeah. Now, not so much. I mean, when I first started my development over um, in Dartmouth, it was like my high-end appraisal would be like 15 a door. <laughs> and if I want to just like get rid of it one day, I could be like, you know, 12 a door and I would be able to sell it super easily. And now, I mean, I could probably get 30, 35, 35 a door. Yeah. Um, and another thing that's interesting about that too is part of this is uh, because of the center plan. The issue with land was it's, we, and we kind of talked about this just even with a single family home, like how hard it is to figure out what the heck you can do there. Yeah. And because of our antiquated zoning um, rules and regulations here, it was very hard to know so for much sure uncertainty. what you'd be able to do in a property. So you would have to buy it cheap to build in some cushion in the event that you couldn't build what you hoped to be able to build there. Now with the center plan saying, um, you can do this here, that here, you get more of what's called as of right, uh, where automatically you know what you can build there. Yep. And that takes out so much of the worry, so much of the weight. You know that almost day one, you can go down there, pull a permit for the build, and that's raised the price of, of the land as well. And it's made it easier for sellers to be like, okay, I know what I've got here. Yep. I can bring in a planning or an, or an architecture firm, and in a couple of weeks, they can turn around a basic massing study that says, I can get this many buildable square foot, boom, put it out to market. And that's what I was about to say next. So obviously, like Chandler just said, the center plan has allowed us here locally to do it. But anywhere you are, if you want and you're really unsure and you're trying to do it and you're not necessarily under a huge pressure, um, get a massing report. A lot of people selling, if they're publicly selling a development site, they've already done a massing report to give you a rough idea of the buildable. Do your own, though. If you're doing like a private off-market deal and it's not necessarily something that has to be done in two weeks, put under contract for six weeks, pay the three dollars $4,000, maybe if it's a big site, five dollars $6,000, to do the massing report and get an idea of what your buildable is because that's so important. And like we've said, same thing with houses. There's so many little nuances. Even if you have the same zoning all the way down the street, there could be literally something saying that specific corner or that specific lot 
there is an issue with it. Um, so always do that due diligence because it would suck to be like, well, he got 100 units on the one next door. This is the exact same lot. I'm going to buy it. Then you get it, and there's some special restriction on it that it can only go up to four stories or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of how those are, are priced. The other thing, though, you still see it, and it's like that works inside of inside the city. Outside of town, when you're not under, like, exact zoning rights. I don't mean outside of town. I mean, like, outside of downtown, where it's not, let's say, for us in center plan or in an easy way to know. The things that you want to look for are, like, you want to be on main arteries, main streets. Of course. You want to have as much frontage as possible. If you can be on a corner, that's best. Like, you don't want to even, like, if you find a flagged lot outside of the city, if you're only intending to build maybe a few townhouses or, like, a triplex, that's great. But if you're like, I want to build an apartment building, buying a flagged lot, even if it's ginormous, it's not going to happen, right? You need that frontage on that main street. Um, Or if you have a giant parcel, but it's on a side street, Again, same situation where you're not going to be able to do Yeah, abutting properties is a huge, huge thing because in a lot of the zoning across the the areas, you'll find that there's, okay, this is what you can do, and depending on what's beside you, it changes, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've got a residential home next door to you, your setbacks are going to be different than if you've got a commercial plaza beside you Yeah, because they look at the zoning and the usage of your lot but also the zoning and the usage of the lots around you, and that together sort of forms... The, the the density limits of of what you can do so in terms of experts that you start to want to surround yourself with obviously a realtor who deals in development but also you need to build a little bit of a planning team around you you're going to have to spend instead of your thousand dollars on inspections or maybe you know fifteen hundred dollars well in septic yeah you're going to have to pay to enlist um planning experts yeah we're going to guide you through these things even if at a very high level and that's going to be cash heavy, right? Like you got to pay those people. It's, it's highly expertise work, but it is very, 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 very valuable. You're also going to have a longer due diligence. Yeah. Um, and just some, a little, a few other examples, like I've heritage. got, a, what's that? I just threw this out there. Heritage. We oh. were just dealing with this. That's yeah. something that can be such a difficult one. You buy or a such a great one. It, exactly. We looked at an option where it actually made it better. Um, but additionally it could be, it could stifle something cause you could say, Oh, I'm going to do this. And they say, well, that little house that's on there is actually a heritage registered home. You can't pull it down. Yeah. And that now kills all your plans or vice versa. Like we have here is if you maintain the heritage property, they might do some relaxation on the density mm-hmm. and allow you to build a little bit more, but you do need to maintain a facade or a current building that's there, assuming yeah. there's space to build around it. But sorry, continue. Yeah. Well, I was going to say a couple little examples because not everyone maybe is at the point where they're looking to acquire a, a site that could produce 60 units, right? Yeah. Uh, the same thing still applies, though, in this is maybe find that house that's on the corridor that you can finance the house conventionally, knowing one day you'll tear it down. Yep. Um, you know, or you can maybe pick up a commercial property at 35% financing, knowing that one day that commercial property could be redeveloped into something larger. Again, all of those are better alternatives than putting 50% down on the land. Yep. When you get into some of these bigger land projects, though, oftentimes the sellers have equity in them and they will hold paper for you in the same way I kind of alluded to at the start of the episode. And that's when they'll hold a mortgage for you because they know that land is very difficult to finance. Mm -hmm. Um, So they will hold second position mortgages or even in some cases first position mortgages on that land to allow you to get further down the road that maybe you could eventually put a conventional product or they hold it right through a good chunk of the, the construction process before you pay them out. But looking at some smaller scale stuff, um, I, for example, have uh, a property available to purchase where it is two PIDs. This ad's going to cost you. 
<laughs> it, it, it's two parcels, um, but we've worked with planners to know that we can change it into three parcels. And in that particular area, the zoning allows for three units plus a secondary suite. Four so units. each one of those lots can support a four-unit structure. So you end up being able to get 12 units there. Yep. So in one area, a 12-unit apartment building might be worth something, right? That might be because it's a nice manageable size. That's going to be worth you know, a higher price per door, maybe like upwards of 50, 60, 70 price, thousand price per door. Yeah. But being able to phase it out in three actually makes it more valuable. 100%. And the fact that the four unit dwellings are going to be worth more independently than one 12 unit building adds a lot of value to it also. So that's a really nice scale product. You would attract a broader market when you were able yeah, to yeah. divide it down. Yeah. So you're probably more like, you know, we'll, we'll market and have success with that property around the you know, $80,000 per door, right? Yeah. Which puts it about $250,000 for each one of those lots. That's a very reasonable thing because it's easy for people to bite off, yeah. right? It's not such a huge amount that um, it, it seems crazy. Also, you can build, bring in almost any contractor. You don't need just a bondable, uh, multi-unit, high commercial contractor to build those. You could get a traditional home builder to slap you up a four unit yep. pretty well as easily as they could slap you up a home. Exactly. Um, it's really easy to finance with residential mortgage. Like, so that's kind of the nice little mid scale project that I find a lot of people, maybe our age, younger, you know, yep. starting off, that's what they're looking at. And Chelsea alluded, you know, talked about this when she was on her show, she's picking off like a four unit, a four unit, a four unit, because it's, she can build them. She and her partner. And it's making a lot more sense now too. Cause yeah. again, they, you go back to the resales. Like if you're trying to convert a home into a duplex, you're competing against people that want to buy, a house home, to live yeah, in, yeah. their home. Uh, and so they might pay 600K for it. But once you pay 600, then you drop another 250, turning it into a duplex. You're in for $850,000. Well, if you could buy the land for 250, you could probably build a brand new one for 400. So you might save 100 grand, plus it's a brand new purpose-built building. Mm-hmm. Um, so building's making a lot more sense at this point. So I think you're right. A lot of people are starting to look at that and there's a lot of options. It's best, it's hard as a first play unless you have a ton of cash. Yeah. Usually yeah, you want to have some do, equity. do joint ventures or maybe they partner with a, a small scale building company. Yeah. That's like, oh man, we could build those out for you. And, and and they work that out. The absolute dream is taking Chandler's idea to the max is if you can get a seller on board and say, hey, I'll give you your price, but give me a vendor take back for the entire piece of land until I finish this thing. So you'll build it out, do a conventional mortgage at the end, and then you like, that payout that you get, you use that to pay them out. And here's your question is like, why the heck would the seller do that? The reason is if you don't meet those, they get all those buildings for free. You just built them these buildings. And right? they get interest payments in the intern. Yeah. So they're making money off their land more than they ever did. And additionally, you're agreeing to pay their price, right? Like you're not going to go and be like... But right. it only works if the seller owns the property free and clear. If the seller yeah. has their own mortgage of $500,000, the most they can do you know, is, is give you a piece. That right? minus the 500. Yeah. They need the cash. Or maybe you do a little bit cash up front. You give them, okay, today you get 50 grand as kind of like a deposit. Plus it's you're getting some money in. Then you start making the payments. Like I did with my very first one, I got an 85% vendor take back, which allowed me to get rolling and went through the whole process. And it was a benefit for both parties. Yeah. Um, so that that's really key when you're looking at these. And I've said this to a bunch of my clients who've called and asked and you kind of need to get creative in today's market. You have yeah. to, because it's unfortunately not as simple as it was. While I'm plugging land uh, opportunities, okay, here, Chandler, um, I also have a <laughs> really high-end single-family lot in a really like a very sought-after peninsular location, mm-hmm. uh, which is nine twenty-five, $925,000 for a lot. And the reason being is, you know, you put a home on there that, that's suitable for that location, yep. it's a $2.2 million home right away. Yep. It just is. Right, new construction, gorgeous, modern home in that location. Yeah. So housing prices has have increased, but they're not one point two million dollars to build 
a home of that size. Yep. I mean, we even we kind of looked at here luxury high end custom home is maybe you know getting up there, but you could probably do it for three hundred and fifty you know, thousand a square foot yeah, uh, or 350 per square foot, you know, so that means you could put almost a 3000 square foot home there for a million bucks. You're in it for 2 million bucks. It's worth, you know, 2.2, 2.4, 2.5. Yeah. You're feeling okay about it. So if anyone wants to build that home, yeah, all right. just well, give me a call. While we're plugging then I got two as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this has become a sales pitch. So first one, it's actually already listed on market in uh, Dartmouth. It's in a nice subdivision, Portland Hills. Oh yeah. Yeah. Three ninety five. It's a little aggressive, but at the same time, there's one down the street on the lake that's pending at seven seventy five. Yeah. Um, big lot. It's got uh forest on both sides, 14,000 square feet, like beautiful space. You can build a great home there. It's about 63 feet wide. Um, and then I also have one off market in the south end of Halifax for a rooming house, permitted, approved, already ready to go. Uh, reasonable price point on that. So hit me up if you're interested in that. It might be sold by the time this comes out, but just in case, shoot me a message. Um, that'll be a great project for somebody to build a rooming house. Plus it can do an exterior secondary suite in south end. You're two minutes from Dow. Um, it's all ready to go. So, um, we're going to go into actual building costs and all of that in the next episode. I think it's a really natural transition from what we're talking about here. Yep. Um, I think high level, if people are curious, if you're going wood construction for something relatively small, i.e., uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six unit building, yep. you are best case, if you're going basic, 185 per square foot. Best case. Yeah, best plus, case. Plus HSD. Absolutely. All these things are, are plus HST. That's kind of your best case. So if you're building a four, five, six that's unit cheap, building, cheap, cheap, cheap. that's cheap construction. You know, you're, you're maybe even overseeing a lot of that yourself. Yeah. More likely you're going to be around 250 a square foot for something a little bit more, um, you know, a little, little bit more typical of, of new construction quality, maybe quartz yep. countertops. You're not putting crazy things in there, but, but you're doing a nice product. Yeah. Um, and, and those would kind of be your good baseline measures. If you're going to do a luxury home, as I said, you might be 350 a square foot uh, for something a little bit more custom or even higher. Luxury is right? yeah, infinite, really, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are some really quick numbers that people can kind of keep in mind. So they you can. see a lot, you're looking at building a home on there, there you go. Those are your numbers. Yeah. Use yeah. that plus HST, and then I throw another contingency of like 10% on there, honestly. Yeah. Because there's always going to be stuff that comes up. Yeah, and then some things are, you know, are you doing a garage? Like, are you doing slab on grade? All these things... Impact how it's going to come for sure. And then are you well and septic? Are you not? Um, yeah, but I think we'll, we'll follow this up with an episode where we dive in a little deeper to building construction costs, financing it, the process and and all that. Yeah. We'll definitely make a second episode, um, and message us with some specifics and we'll, we'll make sure to to address. I feel like more people message Neil. This is something I wanted to talk about. Uh I don't know why all the people are messaging you, Uh messaging you. I have a few people messaging me, but I don't know. I don't Just come more, off as like more now. approachable. I don't know how that's better, true. Better hairline, something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> Who has a better hairline? Is this a joke? Um, they feel less threatened by your hairline. Uh, yeah, rock well, no. solid, baby. <laughs> Turned thirty-eight this week. Look at this. Yeah, no. Rock but, solid, but I'm not thirty-eight. Moving. By next year, this thing's gonna be stuck to my bald head. Um, but oh, yeah, anyways, no. So message both of us if do you want to shoot Chandler a message because he's feeling a little bad about it. Um, do that. And this literal episode came up because somebody messaged asking about the purchase of how to buy land, what they should be paying and all that. Yeah. So that's kind of what we'd like to do is keep addressing things you guys want to hear. 
And um, the short answer is like, there's no simple thing. Oh, this is what land should cost. No, exactly. I, but at least we're unpacking the variables that go into determining the value of a possible piece of land. Make an educated decision that way. Yeah. Also, okay. someone reached out and said that they got their whole down payment in Toronto by flipping furniture, which is something we talked about in an episode. Oh, yes. That Thank was you. super I cool. I forget the person's name, but thanks for, for messaging. It Man, was, was neat was to hear that awesome we, hear. we talked about that, yeah. making your first thousand or first 10,000 bucks. And we, we discussed flipping furniture in Kijiji. And he said, you know what? I've got my first down payment flipping furniture in Kijiji. Yeah. I also had someone reach out and say, you know, they're very curious about this idea of assignment because they don't want to get their license. And I can't stress enough. Go check out the assignment uh, episode. If you have a access to something, you're like, oh, that's so crazy. I'd totally love to do that, but I don't have the money. You can make so much money, you know, thousand, five thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand dollars off of like calling me and saying, what about this? <laughs> yes. Always bring a deal. Like, I said, message Chandler and I will we'll buy your yeah. deals or we have clients that will. Yeah. Yeah. And you can get, get paid off. I'm going to shout this guy out. It's Riley Norman. He's a real estate agent here in Halifax. Thanks for messaging and kind of giving us that backing that you did the yeah. exact same thing. You, you, you flipped furniture to get started uh, and now you're doing it. So appreciate you listening cool. and messaging us. I have one last story because I keep forgetting the oh story and it's so amazing. <laughs> no, this let's, let's right, end on right, a fun right. note here. All right. Let's do it. Uh, a buddy of mine <laughs> bought some apartment buildings. And he was doing the walkthrough, and the rent's there, like, 450 500 Like, it's absurd. Yeah, yeah. So he's going through, um, and he goes through this one unit, and this lady's showing around. Nice enough lady. And they finish. They walk out. She goes, all right, and now I'll show you the other one there. And, like, you rent a second unit? She's like, yeah. She opens the door. She rents a second unit entirely devoted to her cats. <laughs> she rents one unit for herself. And one unit for her cats. And she has something like six cats. And she (laughs) rotates them. So she keeps two in the house with her and four over there playing. They got like all the play zones and everything. And then she swaps two in and switches two out. Like... That's amazing. But I, if you're paying 450, 500 bucks a month of rent, why not get well. yourself buy up the whole floor? <laughs> that's yeah. badass. I'm anyway, into it. man, I've been loving <laughs> some of that the things story. you see. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. That's enough for today. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Check. Follow us. Do whatever. Message us. We're super good at that. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.